Mark chapter 9. We're going to begin reading in verse 49 and read two verses. And if you're able to stand, I'd invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word today. The last sermon we preached in this series going through the Gospel of Mark was on March the 1st. And um, we're going to return to that for a while. Uh, it's, it's, it's just a passage filled with uh, wisdom and challenges for the disciples. But let's just read these two verses before we pray. Verse 49. For everyone shall be salted with fire, and every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Salt is good. But if the salt have lost his saltness, wherewith shall or will you season it? Have salt in yourselves, Jesus said, and have peace one with another. I don't rely a great deal on commentaries, but I do refer to commentaries when I'm studying passages. And I've probably read the comments on these two verses from... 15 or 20 different commentaries. And it's amazing how many of those commenters consider this one of the most difficult passages in the Bible to fully comprehend. That's why I've been putting it off for a month and a half to deal with it. <laughs> Look at verse 49. For everyone shall be salted with fire... And every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. And then a verse that every, not every, but most men would hardly, amen, salt is good. <laughs> Let's pray and ask for God's help as we look at that subject, salt is good. Father, we thank you for your word today. Please bless, work in our hearts, help us to receive what you have for us. And Lord, help us as we study this passage to be strengthened by it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The verses previous to this, many of them are just a powerful discussion preparing the disciples for the fact that they're coming into uh, Jerusalem, soon be in Jerusalem. Jesus will go to the cross. And beginning in Mark chapter 9 and verse uh, 33 and following, uh, we've had not, uh, five messages just on this short passage of Scripture. But these two verses kind of conclude this context. And so let's just look at it together, uh, beginning in verse 49, where it says, Everyone, I want to emphasize that word, everyone, everyone shall be salted with fire. Actually, those words, not that one word. So Jesus, we know who he's talking to. He's talking to his disciples. He's preparing them. But who is he speaking of? When he uses the word everyone, who's included in everyone? Is he talking about every person, every human being? Is he just talking about every one of his followers? He's talking to his followers. And I'm going to take the position that everyone Jesus is talking about means everyone. And... These verses, this verse, verses 49, uh, follow a stern warning. And if you look up above, just a couple of verses above that, where Jesus said in verse 47, If thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than to having two eyes to be cast into 
hell fire. Where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Similar language is found up in verses 45 and 46 and also verses 43 and 44 where he talks about hell fire. And then he says in verse 49, for everyone shall be salted with fire. Uh, that word for in the beginning there of verse 49, for would certainly seem to indicate that this, what he's saying in 49, would be a continuation of what he's been saying in 48. Verse 48, where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched, for everyone shall be salted with fire. So I think you have to say in verse 49 that everyone has to do with those people as well. Those those who reject the gospel, and that represents many people in the world, it actually represents the majority of people in the world, those who reject the gospel are going to face fire, the fires of judgment. And that would include you. If you're here today and you've heard the gospel, you know that Christ died for you, you've never personally believed on him for salvation, this is what you have to look forward to. And that's not a... That's not a thing to take lightly. Eternity is a long time. Fire is a very uncomfortable place to be. So we know he's speaking. I believe he's speaking about those people. But I also believe everyone in verse 49 refers to or pertains to believers as well. Because if you look at the context of 49 and 50, he speaks very clearly to believers. For instance, look in verse 50 where he says, Have salt in yourselves. He's talking about believers. So just like lost people are going to face fires, their, their fires are going to be the fires of eternal judgment. But even believers are going to experience what the Bible calls fiery trials. We'll experience fires of our own, not the same fires. Thank God for what it means to be saved, amen, to have eternal life, to know your sins are forgiven. Thank God for the promise of heaven. It's always precious. It's especially precious today. We're thankful, I'm thankful, I'll speak for all of us, we're thankful that the redeemed of the Lord will never face, experience the fires of eternal judgment. But that does not mean we don't go through fiery trials. We have our own fires on this life, in this life to deal with. Peter wrote this in his epistle, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire. Gold is tried by fire, and the, and the process of refining includes fire on that gold that separates the impurities from the gold, the precious metal, and he likens the trial of your faith, my faith. We'll go through fiery trials, and just like that gold is refined, our faith will be more precious than gold because it's been tried with fire. You remember the words of Job when Job went through ex experiences so intense, so dark, dark trials. He said this, when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. I'm going to go through some difficult times, painful, confusing. But when I come out of it, I'm going to be better. Every, so we go back to our beginning verse in verse 49. Everyone shall be salted with fire. The lost will experience an eternity in a lake of fire. The saved will know the fires of affliction. 
in this life. There is a fire that destroys and there is a fire that purifies. If you read, we're going to look over verse 49 and 50 again and we're going to notice the fact that salt is obviously a central part of this text. I'm going to read it. You count the number of times salt is mentioned. Verse 49, for everyone shall be salted with fire and every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt have lost his saltness, wherewith will you season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace one with another. By my count, there's seven mentions of salt. So we'd have to agree that if you read these two verses, perhaps difficult verses, no doubt difficult verses, we know that salt is a main subject. In verse 49 says, everyone shall be salted with salt. And then he says this in 49, please look at these words. Every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Or excuse me, verse 49, the first part, everyone will be salted with fire. Every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Every sacrifice. Now, uh, if you have the benefit of having center column references or references in your Bible, that phrase where it says, every sacrifice shall be salted with salt, has a reference, and there's a couple of places it directs your attention to. One of them is Leviticus chapter 2. It's a good reference. It's a good chain reference. Let me read to you from Leviticus chapter 2 and verse 13, thinking about this phrase, every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. This is Leviticus 2.13. Instructions about the priest, the giving of sacrifices in the Old Testament. And every oblation of thy meat offering shalt thou season with salt. Neither shalt thou suffer the salt of the covenant of thy God to be lacking from thy meat offering. With all thine offerings thou shalt offer salt. The sacrifices were to be given, offered with salt. They were to be salted, according to the Old Testament, with salt. Now imagine you're sitting here, or standing, whatever the case may be, and this passage when Mark is recording here about what transpired before they get to Jerusalem, and Jesus is talking to his disciples... And these disciples, all of them from a Jewish past, heritage, and as Jesus is talking about these words where he says in verse 49, every sacrifice shall be salted with salt, I'm certain they were very familiar with this practice. I think they would be very familiar with this passage. You and I may not be, but they would be. And that is that Jesus is telling them that the, all these sacrifices were to be salted with salt. Now again, what is Jesus doing? Let's back up and look at it from a, as we would say, from a 30,000 foot level perspective. He's preparing these disciples. They're entering the final days of his earthly ministry. There's no time to waste on things that are not important, of course. Nothing is unimportant to Jesus. But he's, he's pouring his truth into them and he's telling them every sacrifice will be salted with salt. Now, whether they connected the dots or not, I believe we can connect the dots in hindsight. Their lives, these men's lives, are going to be lived as living sacrifices. These, everyone who's listening to them, all of these followers, this intimate group of people, will eventually be killed for their faith in Jesus Christ. 
You know, here in America, we sometimes confuse inconveniences with persecution. But their persecution was real. Some of them would be beheaded. Some of them would be burned. So their, their lives are going to be like a sacrifice. And you say, well, that was them. What about us? Most of you may have already thought about Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, where it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. Our lives are to be lived. I mean, this is the way God wants us to live our lives, like we're living sacrifices, Every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Every sacrifice would, have, would need salt upon that sacrifice. And that's why it says in verse 50, two-thirds of the way down the verse, have salt in yourselves. He's talking to them directly. You need to have salt in yourself because every sacrifice will be salted with salt. Now, we have the advantage of looking back on this, taking time, meditating upon it, but in real time, these disciples were processing a lot of material. Jesus has been telling them, I'm going to go into Jerusalem, I'm going to be killed. They're, they're looking at the pending crucifixion, they're not understanding it. They're looking at the cost of discipleship in this, in this scenario where he's teaching this. He talked them about the importance of discipleship. He's, he just laid on them a tremendous a warning about if you offend someone, you'd be better off, you know, having a millstone tried around you and cast into the bottom of the sea. They're dealing with the seriousness of offending other people and dealing with sin. You'd be better off if your right hand offends you to cut it off and, and enter into life with one hand than to go into hellfire with no hands. I mean, all this stuff is being poured upon them at the same time. And in that, he says this. He concludes this teaching with these challenging words. Have salt in yourself. Every sacrifice will be salted with salt. I think he's making it clear to them that the path of discipleship is not an easy path. It's a path of self-denial. It's a path of sacrifice. It's a life of discipline. That's what being a disciple is about, discipline. We have to control our lives. We have to suppress our self-life. Our pride has to be slain. These very people, if just a few verses prior to this, as a matter of fact, let's just look at this. In, uh, where Jesus says in verse, you're in Mark chapter 9, look in verse 33. In the middle of the verse, Jesus asked them a question. What was it that you disputed among yourselves, by the way, in verse 34? But they held their peace... For by the way they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. How carnal, how unattached to reality these men were. Talking about who's going to be most important. And Jesus is preparing them and he says, you, you need to fasten your seatbelts because every sacrifice will be sacrificed with salt. And he's, I believe he's challenging them. To, be, to, be, to, let him, to let him be first in their life. God, listen, God never called any of us to a life of prestige or popularity. He called us to a life of sacrifice, to a life of surrender. Every disciple of Christ will have fiery trials. 
to undergo. Every one of his children, not all in the same way, not all at the same time, but every one of his children will be salted with fire. Salt purifies and it preserves. There'll be tests and trials. I was thinking this week about the three Hebrews who were cast into the fiery furnace. And what did the fires burn? Nothing but things that bound them. Isn't that an amazing thing? You know, we appreciate our heritage as Baptists. I'm not ashamed to be a Baptist. But it truly has been a trail of blood. If you've never read that little book, you ought to read it. A trail of blood. I appreciate, we've covered this in recent weeks in our Sunday night service. I appreciate our history and the history of our King James Bible, how we got it. But it came with a great price. Salt is good. Look in verse 50. We're still in this passage. Verse 50, salt is good, but if the salt have lost his saltness. Salt is good, but it can lose its saltness. I don't know if everyone here tries to memorize scriptures periodically. That'd be a good scripture to memorize next time somebody tells you to put down that salt shaker. Salt is good. We think of salt, we think primarily of flavor. It has a lot of valuable purposes. Not only is it good for flavor, though, but it's been used for ages to, to preserve, to cure meat or fish. Salt also has healing properties, including drawing out infections out of a, out of a person. Salt is good. Now, we don't rely upon it in those ways as other generations have because we have refrigeration. But when you're, there's no refrigeration, it's essential. Preservation requires salting. Salt can lose its saltness. Now, there are a lot in this verse. I hope you're following along this morning. But the disciples of Jesus, and I'm not going to turn to these passages. We could look at Matthew chapter 5, for instance. But the disciples of Jesus are the salt of the earth. Would you agree with that? Jesus said it. We're the salt of the earth. But Matthew 5 says, if the salt has lost its savor, it's good for nothing but to be trodden under the foot of men. So we are the salt of the earth. Every sacrifice shall be salted with salt, but salt can lose its saltness. If you're in Mark there, turn to the, hold your place and we'll come right back to this. But go to the Gospel of Luke and look in Luke chapter 14. A little bit different take on this passage, but Luke chapter 14 And verse 34, it begins with these same three words, salt is good. Luke 14 and verse 34. Salt is good, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor yet for the dunghill. I mean, that's a pretty worthless place to be, wouldn't you agree, the dunghill? You know what's fit for the, it's not even fit for the dunghill. What is it that's not even fit for the dunghill? Salt that is no longer salty. If salt is no longer salty, it's worthless, right? It's neither fit for the 
land nor yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out, in verse 35. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Let's go back, if we could, to Mark chapter 9. So Jesus is teaching these disciples. He's teaching them about the sacrifices. He's teaching them that every sacrifice has to have salt. Salt is good, but if the salt loses its saltness, it's good for nothing. If it doesn't have that flavor that, that, that is designed to, or uh, kept for that purpose, it's good for nothing. Now notice then what it says in verse 50. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost his saltness, wherewith will you season it? Then the last part of the verse, have salt in yourselves. Now where does this salt come from? It comes from within. This saltiness that these disciples, these sacrifices were to have, it doesn't come from the outside. It comes from the inside. Have salt in yourselves. If you're sitting here today as a follower of Jesus, you and I have been uh, declared by Jesus himself to be the salt of the earth. You are, you are. The salt of the earth. Now where does that salt come from? It comes from within. It doesn't come from without. It comes from within. You can't just take a salt shaker and shake it on your head or say, I'm now saltier. No, it comes from within you. Salt is the influence that comes from the heart and life of a disciple of Jesus Christ. We are to be the salt of the earth. If a person's life, have you ever heard this said about a person? I never used to hear this. Ever said as a figure of speech when in the first probably 25 years that I was saved. But I began to hear this phrase. And sometimes people even in public like political arena would use it. That person is the salt of the earth. Have you ever heard anybody say that about someone there? The salt of the earth. You know where that comes from? It comes from within. It comes from within a person. If salt loses its salt, saltness, that's a hard word for me to say, saltness. But if, but if salt loses its saltness, what caused that? It's not anything on the outside. Because saltiness doesn't come from the outside. Have salt in yourselves. Believers, the followers of Jesus, are to be sacrifices, salted with salt, and they're to be witnessed for Christ. And that's what I think this is what this passage is really about for these disciples. Just as temple sacrifices require salt, the followers of Jesus ought to be the salt of the earth. Now, um, I don't. I hardly ever pick up a salt shaker. Matter of fact, I probably hadn't picked up picked up a salt shaker in I don't know how long. Now my wife does salt our food, but when I go to a restaurant or if I eat a baked potato, I put pepper on it and butter, and no sour cream. That's a sinful thing around our house. But I don't put salt on it. I've learned to kind of live without additional salt. My wife will tell you used to when I would. Prepare our, no matter how much salt was made in preparation for it, I would cover it with a good covering. But salt is not something that I pick up often. But if you picked up salt and you put it on your baked potato or on your fried eggs, 
and there was no salt flavor to it, why go to the trouble, right? What's the purpose? Salt should have a flavor about it. And we're the salt of the earth. And if we're not demonstrating a flavor of Christ, if we're not demonstrating to the world that we are a distinctive people, we're not fulfilling our purpose. That's why Jesus said this. And he said it in Mark's, Matthew's gospel and in Luke's gospel. It's really good for nothing. Now that's an offensive statement to make. If I were to walk up to someone or someone would walk up to me and said, can I just tell you, you're good for nothing. That would be an offensive statement. But I'm not the one that said it. Jesus said it. He said, if, you, if we're not the salt of the earth, we're not fulfilling our purpose. Salt should have a, an effect, an influence. Salt hinders or arrests decay. Salt uh, preserves things. Salt, and, you know, Christians in our culture ought to be a, a preserving influence in a culture that is decaying right before our eyes. But if the salt loses its properties, it's useless. Salt should be distinctive. And by our distinctions are not about just our physical appearance or even our language or our lifestyle. Now those things may be a factor. But it's more about the influence of Christ in our life. Being Christ-like. Being followers of Jesus. Letting Jesus live his life out of us. The followers of Christ, and that's who we are, most of us, are to be moral preservatives in the world. We ought, to, we ought to be, and we are challenged to be, an influence that keeps the world from just becoming more and more corrupt. We ought to stand in the way of corruption and evil, preventing the world from falling, away or falling apart around us. If we're no, listen, if we're no, young person, if we're no different from the world, what good are we? What good are we? But you know, sometimes instead of us influencing our culture, our culture's influencing us. Where's that distinction? We're to be the salt of the earth. We're not to be like the world. We're called to be distinctive from the world in our attitudes, in our language, in the way we conduct ourselves. And when we lose that distinctiveness, then we lose our ability to impact others, the world around us. You know, impurities in this life, I'm talking about the influence of the world, the influence of the flesh, it has a tendency to diminish our distinction. But God intends that we be a seasoning virtue. In our world. So let's look at the verse again. Verses 49 and 50. For everyone shall be salted with fire. And every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Salt is good. It is good. But if the salt have lost his saltness. Wherewith will you season it? Have salt in yourselves. What a challenge for us today. Have salt in yourselves. And then he gives a final admonition in verse 50. And have peace one with another. 
I find that to be a very interesting phrase as I find these two verses to be very interesting. But he ended this discourse. Jesus ended this lengthy discourse with a call for harmony, with a call for unity. Look at those words. I have them underlined in my Bible. Have peace one with another. They've been in this, as we've already mentioned, they've been in this inner turmoil, this tension. Who's the greatest? He said, have peace one with another. Now, as I think about where they were, they're almost to Jericho. If you're familiar with geography, you have, they're on the eastern side of the Jordan River. Jericho sits on the Jordan River, but on the western side of it, and just a day's walk from Jericho, they'd be in Jerusalem, and Jesus there would go to the cross. They're almost there. It seemed to me like a minor thing to mention that close to the cross. Have peace one with another. He's about to face the bitter night at Gethsemane. The spikes going through his hands, the crown of thorns on his brow, the torture of the whip. And you know what he says? Have peace one with another. You and I may read this and think, I don't think that's very important. But I want to submit to you today that if Jesus said it, it's real important. Have peace one with another. He says in verse 50, have salt in yourselves and have peace one with another. You know, I, I, I said before, and I just want to mention it again, the saltiness, the distinction we have comes from within us. It comes from within us. And that relationship that we have with Christ will make us an influence on the world, but it also make us have peace one with another. Our words should be seasoned with salt. Paul wrote to the Colossians and he said this, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. Paul wrote to the Ephesians and he said, Speaking the truth in love. In love. Be at peace one with another. This probably doesn't need to be said, but I want to say it. You know, we're, no matter what happens in life, we're not at war with one another. We're not at war with one another. We're to love one another. Have salt in yourselves and be at peace one with another. Our relationship with Christ increases our influence in other people's lives. The closer we are to Him, the more He's rubbing off on us, the more He's influencing our attitudes and our responses, the more influence we'll have on others, but also the more we'll have love and peace for each other. By the way, it's interesting to me. The more we have him influencing our lives, the more we'll be at peace with one another. And the more we love one another, the more influence we're going to be in the world. Because Jesus said this. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples. Not by how big the Bible is that you carry but by how much you love one another, right? Jesus said that. Don't let anything keep you from peace with one another. Don't let anything keep you from loving your brothers and sisters in Christ. 
We're to guard our unity. We're to have peace one with another. So let's review. Salt is good. Amen. Salt is good. And every sacrifice, not just the sacrifices of the Old Testament priesthood, but the sacrifice of your life and my life, every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Have, have salt in yourselves. And maybe you're sitting here today thinking, you know, maybe that describes me from this standpoint. The salt has lost its saltness. I've kind of lost that distinctive character of being the salt of the earth. Distinction comes from within. It's not about just trying to fix everything on the outside. It's about attending to our relationship with Christ on the inside. We are to have salt in ourselves. And that comes from Him. As we wrap this up today, I want to encourage you about a couple of things. Number one, if you're here today and you're not sure you're saved, though we didn't spend a lot of time on it, we certainly made reference to the fact that Jesus said, those who reject him, those who reject the truth, those who do not trust him are going to go to a place the Bible actually prepared for the devil and his angels, but a place of torment, a place of eternal judgment or damnation. If you're here today, I don't say that with any sense of glee or even looking down. I just say it because I care about you. If you're not sure you're saved, you need to get that matter settled. You need to get that straightened out. You need to come to the Lord. And no amount of good works or good behavior or reforms can change that. You have to come to Jesus Christ and put your faith and trust in Him for your salvation. And you could do that today. You should do that today. But if you don't do it today, you ought to do it soon. You ought to talk to somebody about it. That's, you know, you can put off a lot of things. But you don't want to put that off. You ought to come to Christ. If you're here today and you say, well, I know I'm saved, then let's take seriously our responsibility to be salt and light in a darkening world. This is not new that our world is coming apart at the seams, but I'll tell you every day it seems to be getting more and more that way. We can't change everything in the world, but we ought to be changing by God's grace what's inside of us and be a positive influence in a decaying world. Criticizing it won't make it any better. And I'm not saying, saying we shouldn't point out error. I'm just saying the, most, the thing they need most is the gospel of Jesus Christ. God help us. And if you say, well, I think I've lost some of that saltness. Why don't we draw near to him today and say, Lord, I want to I work on my heart. With your help, I want to work on what's going on inside of me. And maybe you've never really thought about this, that your life is to be a sacrifice. My life is to be a sacrifice. Not an animal sacrifice, but a human life 
devoted, dedicated to God. 